what makes the uh, Australian uh, Indigenous uh, uh natural remedy practitioners very important is that the excess of plants they have you know it's a very diverse country very uh, tough rough country in the sense of climate when plants survive in a very uh, uh trying climate naturally its uh, chemistry or genetics will be able to produce chemicals within the plants that are more potent welcome to CQ University commentary the podcast bringing you our experts to explore and dissect issues that affect you, your family, and your community. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode and join the conversation on CQ University social media. This episode was recorded during the global coronavirus outbreak. As a result, CQ University has dedicated the first season of this podcast to focus on conversations about the issues from COVID-19 that you may not have considered, but are still changing the world we live in today. In following social distancing advice from the government, our interviewers and experts conducted these conversations remotely, so you may experience a lower quality of audio recording. Visit the CQ University website for more information on our response to COVID-19 and advice for students and staff. Currently, there is no vaccine for COVID-19. Some are speculating it will be months, others say years before we have one. So in the absence of a vaccine, antiviral medicines are being turned to in the hope of increasing a patient's chance of survival. And now a team of researchers at CQUni are investigating natural and traditional medicines that have antiviral compounds to see their viability in the fight against COVID-19. Lead researcher Dr. Manny Naker is here with us today to share about the incredible work taking place in regional Queensland, which could one day help people better tackle coronaviruses. Thanks, Manny, for joining us on CQ Uni Commentary. Thank you for having me, Priscilla. Um, first up, is it really possible that Australia's native plants could hold the key to antiviral medicines in the future? Uh, definitely, uh, it is important that uh, we recognise the diverse and wide uh, range of uh, indigenous plants that is available in Australia, and uh, it is very important that we consider and screen those for potential antiviral uh, drugs or agents uh, which will help uh, suppress uh, viruses such as uh, COVID-19 and related viruses and related uh, bacteria, uh, viral strains. Now, the reason why we are so confident in saying that is because uh, our uh, our studies or literature search and reviews on uh, other parts of the world strongly suggests that there is a very good correlation between the use of uh, traditional herbal remedies and uh, potential uh, curing uh, or suppression of uh, uh, similar sort of viral strains. And uh, most of this work has been done, I would say, from uh, you know 700 to 800 word papers that we have researched uh, specifically on uh, herbal remedies and their correlation to uh, potential antiviral uh, uh, activity. Uh, most of the work has been done in uh, Southeast Asia, uh, mainly in China. So uh, due to that, uh, uh, damning evidence, I mean, uh, large evidence uh, in literature, we can only postulate that uh, similar remedies obtained from natural products in Australia could have similar activity. Mm. 
Can you tell us um, a little bit about what your team has actually been focusing on at the moment? Okay, so uh, I'll just give you a very quick uh, background as to what our uh, research team uh, main focus has been. Uh, we have been very interested in looking at uh, natural uh, products, uh, be that uh, herbal medicines or uh, plants that has been used by indigenous populace or uh, crops, uh, food and all sorts of uh, uh, pro- natural product studies that could be u- useful for humans uh uh, from the point of view of uh, consuming or uh, applying for medicinal purposes. So our study were not focused specifically on antiviral agents to start off with, but we were looking at uh, anti-cancer activities, antibacterial anti- activities, uh, nutritional profiling of uh, natural products, uh, and, and purely looking at biochemical markers, which would uh, uh, which could be used to market a particular product against other relatively. But as uh, we uh, uh, progress through that work uh, and with COVID-19 coming into play, our focus has uh, shifted towards uh, including uh, working on these natural products that could have antiviral activity as, w- as well on top of anti-cancer, antibacterial. So they're all related. So, um, so what we are doing uh, in, in terms of building uh, the capacity and uh, capability within CQAP, uh, building uh, that capability within our labs to be able to, first of all, uh, be in a position to very quickly screen the large number of natural products that we could have access to. And in saying, out of these 50, these five are the real key potent ones and let's pursue these. Because it's like bioprospecting, you know, you, you could go around and test every plant source that has shown some evidence to have anti-viral anti, anti, uh, activity, uh, but we have to be smart in, in the sense that we, 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 only, we should only uh, invest our resources and our uh, finances towards um, those that show potent or extreme capability rather than everything. So what we are setting up as a very initial point of screening out the potent ones or the ones with value amongst the others which we could work on later. So that's the starting point. Point. Once we screen a small number, we can then go on to the next phase. And there's a number of phases that you have to go through eventually before you can uh, positively say, look, this plant has got these types of compounds and these compounds have shown uh, in vitro, meaning uh, in bioassays, and then in vivo animal models, and then finally clinical trials. So we are we are at CQAB building up the very initial stages or phases of this long process that is re- required to eventually uh, you know nail down uh, certain uh, agents or drugs that are uh, are the reasons why certain herbal remedies work and others don't. I know you're probably in the early stages of this research, but have you identified certain plants so far that um, have got good prospects? Um, that, that's a very good question. Um, what we are doing is uh, we are sort of, because we are basing our work uh, in Australian plants based on plants and remedies that have been used mainly in, uh, in, in Chinese uh, herbal, herbal medicine uh, system, we 
at the mo- at this moment haven't really identified or narrowed down down any one plant uh and this is where we will be guided by the knowledge of the indigenous leaders and indigenous practitioners um who have uh, you know centuries of anecdotal evidence that has been passed from generation to generation inherently saying that this works for you know if you have flu season you know you you're going to drink this remedy prepared this way if you if you got arthritis you're going to have this particular uh, uh, preparation or potion made from uh, this plant in this way so at this stage we haven't named anything uh but it it's 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 it, it all because we are basing our we will base our investigation on that indigenous uh, practitioners knowledge a knowledge that is only preview to very few people so it's a very sensitive matter and uh, at this stage even if we had uh, worked on any samples it will be you know decoded de-identified for for reasons we all understand uh, due to its commercial viability later yes. on yes yep yeah no so, problem <laughs> so, so there, there's a lot of ip and um other mous that that is bound between us and the, and the indigenous population that we are working with Yeah. that just leads me into my next question about um if you've actually been collaborating with um indigenous communities um for their traditional knowledge at the moment yes we have been uh, in dialogue with uh, one of the local central queensland indigenous community uh we have been in dialogue with them for the last 8 to 10 months and uh, the dialogue was initiated by the office of indigenous engagement uh, led by Professor Adrian Miller and Dr Caroline Daniel so they are very strongly involved in the whole uh, uh, communication with the relevant uh, uh, indigenous community um the process and the collaboration has taken uh, it's been a slow progress uh, but understandably because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sensitivity associated with this this nature of work that we are trying to do but uh, the the positive output is that both sides are very interested and very uh, keen to use or utilize each other's expertise into uh, finding a common goal of common solution which would be beneficial to the community and to the university and the central queensland region um, in large one of the key aspects has been that uh, the project has evolved into a larger entity compared to when we started it was a very simple uh, pilot project just doing some characterization and screening for for the indigenous population and with the with the uh, setting of covid and all these other things that have come up of late the project has evolved and expanded into a major undertaking so uh, which means uh, there are parties coming in on board with us to uh, potentially finance or provide funds so it's 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 evolved into a standalone um uh, reasonably major project between CTU university and the indigenous uh, population of central queensland which is mm. very exciting uh, it's Absolutely. very uh, you don't get an opportunity to work with the um, indigenous population in, in, in this manner in the sense that uh, here we are scientists being guided by the uh, practices and evidence that indigenous populations have gained over time so you don't get that combination very very often so we are very um, excited especially uh, working with the indigenous population we are very which are, which is close to us and uh, the university have a vested interest in this 
community uh, from health, education, and all aspects. So, so there, there's some good um, times ahead. But uh, as I've said before, uh, work of such nature is very sensitive for the reasons we understand. So it's it's taking us um, a little bit longer to get everything um, finalized before we can access uh, the knowledge we are we are after. Um, as, a, as a scientist, are you amazed at the knowledge of the Indigenous communities about um, the plants in Australia? Uh, personally, no, because uh, I have been working in this area for a long time. You know, I, I was born and bred in the Pacific, in the Fiji Islands, and uh, had a strong association with the Indigenous population of uh, most of the Pacific Islands and have had personal experiences growing up uh, relying on um, traditional herbal remedies. What makes the uh, Australian uh, Indigenous uh, uh, natural remedy practitioners very important is that the excess of plants they have. You know, it's a very diverse country, very um, tough, rough country in the sense of climate. Now, when you have uh, this uh, difficult climate, uh, the plants grown here must be fairly uh, robust. When you have, uh, when you when you survive, when plants survive in a very uh, uh, trying climate, naturally its uh, chemistry or genetics will be able to produce chemicals within the plants that are more potent, so to speak. They will have more impact compared to if they were grown, similar varieties were grown in more, you know, easy climate with everything there, the temperature, the soil, everything is so easily distributed. So so I think um, the, uh, the natural products from Australian sourced plants have and should have higher potency than um, a lot of other places that those similar plants would be grown. Um, that plus, um, you know, it, when, when, when working with the herbal remedies and people who practice uh, this art, uh, there's, there's always going to be a, a polarized uh, um, uh, output from depending where you stand, you know, so... One could be it's hocus pocus, you know, it's just placebo effect, you know, like if mm-hmm. I go to you and say, look, if, if you have this, your cough will get better. And, and, and it has been proven that placebo effect does have an impact. Now, and from the science point of view, you know, we as, as Western society, uh, which has gained more momentum in medicine, uh, we rely a lot on Western medicine because we feel that oh, it's clinically trialed, you know, and we are prescribed by our physicians, you know, it's all good. But uh, the bottom line is that the Western medicines do have side effects you know, compared to uh, natural medicine. So there's, there's all sorts of factors involved. Now, going back to your original question about how amazed I am with the knowledge of the um, uh, indigenous uh, practitioners, it, it is fairly amazing because, you know, it's not knowledge that they have, which is only like 10 years old or 100 years old. It's, it's, it's it goes back a long, long time, passed on from generations to generations. And in the, in the early days, that was all they would have relied on, you know, until uh, very lately that we all have access to Western medicine. So my, as much as I am a very, uh, I'm a scientist, you know, I believe in facts and um, evidence and, and things like that. I, there's something in me tells me that we should not discount the fact that the uh, indigenous populace are saying something. I mean, why should we discount the fact? Uh, Now, given COVID and there's no cure for it, uh, this has brought back that concept 
should we just listen to them and try something? You know, I mean, what's what else? What's the worst that can happen? Um, either we will we will scientifically justify something which which they have believed for so long, so their belief and their uh, anecdotal evidence is converted into scientifically justifiable evidence. And we could say, yep, science says it works, and science says it doesn't work. So we 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 should never discount. Uh, those un, uh, invaluable, invaluable knowledge that they have uh, enhanced or harnessed for so long, just because um, uh, we are so uh, reliant and focused on Western medicine or synthesized or manufactured medicine. Enjoying this episode? Subscribe to Seek University Commentary on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for more. And remember to rate, review, and share. Just going back to the actual plants themselves that you're, you're dealing with, um, are you looking at particular compounds um, in them that um, have got antiviral um, tendencies, I suppose? I mean, I know there's a word being spruced around, uh, phytochemicals. Is yep. <laughs> Can yep. you explain that for our listeners? Yes, um, that's a good question. First of all, I will try and explain what phytochemicals are. So if you... Look at the word phytochemicals. Phyto means plants. Chemicals are the chemicals. So it's it's chemicals within the plant. So something like uh, um, you know your protein, your sugars, your vitamins—they are all chemicals produced by the plants. So um, out of the many plant produce plant produced chemicals, the phytochemicals, there are very very various subclasses. Like I've just mentioned, vitamins there, I've mentioned proteins, I've mentioned sugars. So underneath, there is a subclass called the polyphenols, right? So polyphenols is a subclass of plant-produced chemicals, which are the target for potential antiviral agents. So then going to your next question, out of what are the chemicals we have identified, they are called polyphenols. So polyphenols are a subclass of chemicals produced by plants under the overall heading of phytochemicals. So, um, and there are many polyphenols. What we have done is we have identified about 10 polyphenols uh, based on the investigations and research uh, data published from Chinese studies, which shows strong correlation between these polyphenols and their ability to suppress or inhibit uh, viral strains like that of coronavirus or COVID-19. So out of millions and hundreds of compounds that are potentially present in a plant, we have identified 10 possibilities. So we're going to target for those 10 and see if they are present in the herbal medicines or herbal remedies or the plants that are used to make herbal remedies by the Aboriginal uh, community in central Queensland and if it is present there we will then pursue to isolate them, like pull them out from the rest and test them individually against antiviral agents like in, in small cell culture scenario, then animal model, then potentially clinical trials. Mm-hmm. So that is, that is the target. So yes, we have got a class of compounds we are chasing. We have narrowed it to about 10 and we're going to target for those stands in the Australian remedies and plants that we, we will be guided to by the uh, indigenous uh, practitioners. Okay, so if, the, if it's um, 
what I'm understanding, it's they're probably broad spectrum um, antiviral um, compounds. I'm guessing, so it won't just um, be targeting COVID. It can um, target a, a load of different viruses. Yes, you've you've nailed it there. It it is, and and polyphenols are generally shown to to be broad spectrum. Just to give your listeners uh, uh, an example of what poly- polyphenols are, I will use the analogy of uh, red grapes. You know, if you look at red grapes when it's ready to be harvested, it's bright, bright purple, reddish in color. So the chemicals which give you that bright uh, purple, bright red purple color is a type of polyphenols, right? And then when you when that uh, red grapes are uh, processed into wine, you've got your red wine. And the red color of wine is due to a type of polyphenols. Mm. Now, if you if you think about the French paradox about having a glass of red wine a day, you know, with, with your meals, good for your health, cardiovascular, and so on and so on. So it is due to the polyphenols in red wine. Okay, so so polyphenols, as you said, is broad spectrum. They've shown to be antioxidants. They've shown to be anti-cancer. They've shown to reduce blood pressure to help. Uh, enhance or keep your cardiovascular activity in, in, in normal range. So, yes, there are broad-spectrum classes of compounds, and our our uh, assumption is, or what we would hypothesis is, if, if we find a polyphenol from a herbal remedy or plant source as guided to us by the indigenous uh, practitioners, if it works as an antiviral agent, it will more than likely work as an anti-cancer agent and probably antibacterial agent as well. It may, wow. or it may be very specific to one or the other. But okay. broad spectrum, that's why our lab is not just focusing on any one um, activity. We are, we are looking at from our total nutritional value, antibacterial, antiviral, as well as anti-cancer. So we could kill a few birds with the same stone <laughs> if we are smart in our processes. And, Sounds uh, log- fabulous. Logistics of experimentation, yes. Yeah. So um, now we're not talking a cure, though, are we? It's they're a treatment. Yes, uh, that's a very good question. I think uh, sometimes uh, it can it can be misconceived. Uh, there's a lot of misconception as to cure, cure and um, boosting your immune system so you suppress something or so you, or you inhibit something is different things. I mean, if if you think about uh, flu. But, uh, virals, viruses based on flu. You know, we have influenza for so long. You know, uh, every year we are asked to take flu shots and whatnot. Uh, we haven't cured it, have we? So, uh, what we have done over over time is made vaccines or have uh, uh, drugs or synthesize uh, medicine, which helps to boost our immune system so that we can manage it. You know, so so that's what natural product derived ther- therapy is all about it's not about totally getting rid of this virus and totally you know making sure there's none zero it's all about giving an opportunity to someone who shows symptoms so who have uh, initial stages to help boost their uh, immune system through various mechanisms that these polyphenols interact with the with the viral strains and uh, make you feel bit feel better you know, so so that's that's where we are, and I I think it's very important that our listeners understand that uh, cure is is not what what uh, this whole work is all about. It's it's really about um, making you feel better, 
build your immune system up uh, and then um, you know you, you are in a position to tackle that the next next year around when the, you know, the flu season comes and so on yes mm-hmm. well it sounds very exciting um just what happens now in in the process of making or turning your research into an actual viable drug yes so that is uh, the overall aim of this uh, this whole project, and it is, as I've said it initially, it's a multifaceted, multifaceted uh, uh, sort of investigation that will need to be undertaken. Um, working with the indigenous practitioners, um, uh, we are very well aware that uh, it's 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 their uh, their knowledge, it's their intellectual property, and and, and from their point of view, um, they would definitely want it to be translated and converted into a Bible commercial entity. So um, to to achieve that, there's a lot of uh, steps that we have to go through. So our very next um, phase is now we know the compounds to target. The next phase is to uh, sit down. Once all the paperwork is done, uh, we will have access to um, the knowledge of the indigenous practitioners. So, for example, we will ask them, okay, you, you have a remedy here. What do you use it for? So, oh, this is for flu. Um, uh, people, uh, community members who have flu, we give it to them. They, it suppresses it. Okay, fine. We will have uh, we will have access to that sample. Now, where did how did you make this? Uh, they might say, well, we, we took some leaves, dried it at this temperature, and then boiled it at this temperature, filtered the water, you know, so so we have to really gather as much information in, in the best of intricate details that how they operate, what they do, so that we can simulate that in the labs and make sure that whatever they do, we are doing in the labs. And in the end, we can go from the leaves all the way to the final product and see how this how this how the chemical characterization. And the biological activity of the final product and what was in the leaves uh, correlate. So that that will give us more confidence confidence in saying, okay, uh, now we are dealing with polyphenols as we as we expected. Now we can go and say, let's see what types of polyphenols and individually pull them out. You know, you might have ten polyphenols that might be of interest, but not all ten may be the ones that are bioactive. So you get rid of the ones that is not active and just look on the ones that is active, you are going to increase the potency of it, which means it will give us more positive data when we test it against other things. So in, as that goes to the next step and so on, as we go through the various phases, once, once we are confident that we have got one or two or group of compounds that we feel can be taken forward, then we go on to in, uh, in vivo. Uh, then in vitro, which is like working on mouse models and, and see what effects they have on them. Then, then finally, um, would be ideal to bring in a, um, a commercial venture, pharmaceutical company, manufacturing, or whichever way the government or the university and, and the indigenous community feel at that time, so that clinical trials can can be undertaken. I mean, without cl- clinical trials, we really can't commercialize the product as such. Uh, now, we could probably get those Hebel shops to sell some stuff, you know, but in terms of making it a commercial entity, which can be prescribed or be available through pharmacies, it has to go through a clinical trial, 
with a manufacturer or a commercial pro- provider, to, you know, having a major undertaking here. So we can support the indigenous population for with their product to a certain stage, and then the university will have we will have to seek the assistance of uh, uh, outside collaborators in making you know the um, the if, to make sure eventually we have a viable commercial product. Mm. So it could take. It's not. Uh, it's not a short-term project, is it? It is not a short-term project. Um, look, you could you could look at it from two points. You know, if if the if the indigenous community, and I know this is for sure, the indigenous practic- practitioners are actually uh, prescribing prescribing and giving these uh, herbal remedies to the community right now as we speak. Um, and if it's you know if it's working for them, um, it, it, you know we could say after some chemical characterization and justifying that, yes, you have the right type of compounds in this cocktail of mixture, you know, it's working for you. People might have a choice to access it, you know, through um, the indigenous uh, population, the the pharmacy, so to speak. But uh, if we are to really put it out there and and have a, uh, a, uh, you know, and, and be in a position to play with Western medicines, we need to go far more deeper into making it more, you know, looking at its efficacy. You know, I mean, then we we have a convincing argument to put forward that this is worth manufacturing in large amounts and and, and marketing it as such. So it's it's a dream, you know. And uh, as I said, we are very fortunate and very happy to have the indigenous uh, uh, community and the indigenous uh, engagement office uh, led by. Professor Adrian Miller on board with us that gives us confidence, you know, otherwise it's just like looking for gold, you know, if you are guided, you know, dig here, you'll get gold, your chances of getting is much higher than if we are chasing uh, these phytochemicals in plants in Australia without any direction, we'll be chasing chasing forever. Mm. Yep. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that's been very informative. Thanks, Manny, for joining us on Siki Uni Commentary today, and I hope your research proves fruitful in the very near future. Thank, Thank you, you, Priscilla. Thank you, Priscilla, and thanks for having us.